0: He doesn't usually say how terrifying it is to see everyone here tonight. (laughs) Be turning with me to uh, John chapter 4, which is on page 941 in the Pew Bible. John chapter 4, starting at verse 7. This is the story of Jesus and the Samaritan lady at the well of Jacob. I'd like to draw your attention to three things that Jesus did in this passage that we can take and learn to help us better in one-on-one evangelism. I believe Jesus' primary goal in this encounter was to move the focus off of the things of this world and to the spiritual needs that each of us have. And the first, first thing that he did to accomplish this goal was, was to just ask for a drink of water from, from the Samaritan lady. This, this by itself was enough to get her attention and shock her even. In verse 9 we read, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews, have no dealings with Samaritans. Normal, normally it was. Normally, Jews avoided contact of any kind with Samaritans. They were considered unclean, and so the very act of asking this woman for a drink of water from a considered an unclean person, and to take that water and to drink it would have been something most Jews would, would not have even considered. But to Jesus, him being the son of God, this really wasn't that big of a deal for him. Now to this Samaritan woman, it made a huge impact because she had never experienced anyone, any Jew being this direct with her before. So the first thing is to make that impression and get the person's attention. The second thing that we can do is to do what Jesus does in verse 10 and following where he compares something physical, something of this world to, to a spiritual thing to give to give, um, to give us some perspective. Uh, in verse 10, Jesus said Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you give me a drink you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Originally, it had been Jesus that said, give me a drink. But now he's saying, if you only knew who I was, you would be asking me for living water. And then in verse 13 and 14, he he contrasts the, the water of the well and the living water. Verse 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. In verse 15, the lady finally does ask for this living water. But she, in verse 15, still is thinking that it's only going to prevent her from ever thirsting again. She has still got her focus on this world and the benefits that she can get here. And again, I think the whole effort here was to get her onto looking further than just this world. The third thing that Jesus did, and this, this by far is the most important, he pointed to himself as the source of the living water and of everlasting life. And this is something we cannot leave out when we... Try to talk to anyone. Uh, in verse ten, Jesus said, "You should ask me for living water." And in verse fourteen, which is the verse we just read, Jesus says, "But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up, springing up into everlasting life." And then in verse twenty-six, Jesus confesses himself as the Christ, the Messiah one sent from God. What impact did this knowledge have for this lady? Well, in verse 28 and 29, we see that this woman leaves the water pot that she had brought to get water from the well, and runs back to the city to tell others, and in verse 39 we find out that many believed in him because of the word of the woman. Earlier that day, her focus was totally on the physical. And Jesus got her attention. He compared the physical thing, the physical need in her life to the spiritual. And then he pointed at himself and said, I am the one that can give this to you. And not only did it have a great impact on her, but also on her entire community. Today, as we try to teach others, we have this same goal move the focus off of the things of this world and onto spiritual things which are so much more important. I hope this will help you as you help others.
1: If you will, please be turning with me to Luke chapter 5 verse 4 through 11. Uh, It's going to be page 909 in your pew bibles. Uh, At this time I'd like to take the opportunity to to say thank you to the elders for letting us come up here and speak to y'all, and hope that they let us come back after this is over with. <laughs> Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 11. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have told all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, it's your word I'll let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in another boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. They had just witnessed a miracle and had been a part of it. And now Jesus Christ was telling them that they would not be fishing for what they were used to, but they would be fishers of men. There was no question in their minds or in their hearts. Everything they had, they left and they followed Christ. These men were already disciples of Christ. This was not the first time that they had seen him. We can read of that account in John, 1st chapter, verses 40 through 42. That's on your Pew Bibles, page 939. One of, these two, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You're Simon, the son of Jonah. You should be called Cephas, which is translated the stone. Now to be a disciple of Christ is to be a follower of Christ and to learn of Christ and his teachings, and to walk in his footsteps, and to do his will. And just as the apostles that we we're reading of started off not knowing much of Christ, only what they learned in the synagogues, and what they were taught by John the Baptist, we start off not knowing much of Christ. And just as they grew in knowledge, so too we should grow in knowledge. They started off as disciples, and were appointed apostles. They had to have been witness of Christ in his life, and after the resurrection, they were given gifts in order to prove what they were preaching. All of the miracle, miraculous events that happened either by Christ or the apostles were to get the unbelievers to believe. In Acts 2, starting with verse 1, Luke writes of the apostles and the following of the Holy Spirit on them in order to make believers of the Jews that were gathered there for Pentecost. Now, the following of the Holy Spirit on the disciples was for the purpose of showing the Jews that these men were inspired, but more so that the Jews could understand the message that was being proclaimed by Peter in the first gospel sermon. Peter taught these unbelieving persecutors what they had done, and that this was Christ that they had killed. And because of the words that were spoken by the Holy Spirit through Peter, we are told in Acts 2, 37 and 38 what happened when they heard. Peter said to them, Repent, let every one of you be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we go on down to verse forty-one and forty-two, and find out the results of what happened. And then those who gladly received His words were baptized. And that day, about three thousand souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now, today we are given similar duties as followers of Christ. We are to first learn who Christ is, what his teachings are, and after we learn, we are to instill that knowledge into others, bring lost souls to Christ. In Luke 10, verse 2, an example is given of the call to the 70 disciples and the words that Christ spoke to them, and they are true and do apply to us today. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We are all given talents by God, and each, of, each one of us has a purpose in the body of Christ, his church. As stated in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. That's going to be in page 1040 in your pew Bibles. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined in it together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. There's no longer a need now for apostles and prophets. Their day has come and passed. They fulfilled their purpose. They were part of the foundation of the church, with Christ being the chief cornerstone as we're reading Ephesians 2.20. Now we must carry on the good news to every person. We all have been given a gift, whether it be to evangelize, to shepherd, or teach. We all have a position in the body of Christ. We all have to spread the good news. That doesn't mean that we have to know everything that there is to know about the Bible, or that we have to be able to be able to answer any question that is asked at that moment, we can definitely say, I don't know. I'll get back to you. But just make sure you do get back to them. We have to be willing to put ourselves and all those that we love in second place and put God first. Our walk of life, our being in the light, our continual study, and thriving to learn more and to live for God is a beacon for those who do not know the way. By the light that you emit... Others can see the pathway. Look for opportunities. They're around every day, everywhere. Do not pass them by. You're the only light some people see. There are so many ways to spread the good news. Bring your children up in the Lord. Sing hymns at work. Read your Bible on lunch break. Invite your neighbor to worship. As Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Also be willing to sit down with someone and tell them who Christ is and what he's done in your life. Most of all, pray. Pray for strength and courage. Pray for an opportunity to open. The fields are ripe. But it's time to harvest. Good evening again to everybody. I
2: want to echo Jamie's saying about thanks to the elders for allowing us to have this opportunity. I always think of the opportunity to teach as an opportunity really more so to learn because it causes us to study more about god 's Word, to understand what we're going to teach on. I also want to thank my predecessors for not doing what we talked about doing Wednesday night and walking around the stage with a mobile microphone, uh, primarily for not falling down. The, I was worried about falling down the steps, uh, plus I 'd like to lean on this podium uh, Our lesson tonight is going to be derived from uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 through 16. Most of you will be very familiar with these verses, and after Andrew gave these to me to do a lesson on, um, I went and read them, of course, and familiar to me, and I was trying to figure out how I was going to put them together um, in an example of teaching, in Jesus' teaching about our relationships with other people. But as usually happens when you read God's Word 10 or 12 times, you understand and learn something different from it every time. I did uh, finally figure out something to talk about about these verses, and it wound up teaching me a lot about myself and a lot about things I need to do in my own life. Uh, If you read with me in Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 11 through 16. It's on page 852 of your pew Bibles. Um, I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. And in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father who is in heaven. Uh, from this, I broke it into four parts I want to talk about very quickly. Um, a warning that Jesus gives to the disciples as well as the other people who are listening to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, also a promise that we have in verse 12. Um, the, next, the next part I want to talk about was preparation and then finally action. All these involve what will happen to us as teachers and examples of Christ in our world today. Um, first of all, as a warning, Christ warns us in verse 11 to expect persecution. He's not just talking to the disciples who are going to be the apostles to go out and carry the word of the world that will be physically persecuted, but he's also talking to us today where even in some places in this world, Christians are still physically persecuted, but fortunately for us, we live in a country where we're not. But we are verbally persecuted, and that can be just as tough at times. Um, Christians are singled out in the world today. Um, in our changing times, I'm sure every generation sees. The path the world wants to take and the path that God has set before us as Christians is rapidly diverging and and changing even more so, and I I know that every generation thinks it gets worse and worse, and I see it even as young as I am um, in my short lifetime, the difference in what I see on television and what I see aloud in families and what's happening to marriage and children in this country. A lot of times we're chastised and accused of being closed-minded, prejudiced, bigots, and even hate-mongers for simply taking a moral stand on public, civil, and governmental issues. Uh, Some of the predominant ones we combat today are the proliferation of homosexuality, the attack upon marriage, uh, the allowance for adultery and fornication in our time, and even simple values such as honesty and business dealings. Uh, We're persecuted and degraded solely because we desire to see our nation, as well as other parts of the world, hold to some decent moral standard of conduct. It never ceases to amaze me those uh, who accuse me of being closed-minded and who accuse other people of being closed-minded are the very ones who won't listen to what we have to say and be willing to think that we may be right or may have a point. I take myself uh, to be a pretty open-minded person, sometimes probably to a fault. And a lot of people think I'm closed-minded because I don't want to agree with what they did even though I'm willing to listen to it and consider it. Um, But they're not even willing to listen to and consider what we may have to say. And uh, My response usually is, you know, if you're right, and neither one of us have anything to worry about, but if I'm right, you've definitely got something to worry about. Um, If you don't experience this type of of persecution and maybe Second Timothy three twelve applies to you that Paul instructs Timothy and us that those who are in Christ should expect this persecution. Um, that if you're not walking in Christ and you won't be persecuted, and I think that's true. But all that negativity does go around to the next verse quickly again as, as God often does, he gives us a promise. Um, in verse twelve he gives us a promise a reward for steadfast and stalwart obedience. He gives us the promise of hope, peace, and the gift of heaven. So there is some reassurance uh, for us to know that we have a better place to go to one day. This promise is what keeps us going when the chips are down, and uh, we become discouraged. We know that we can turn to him for comfort and encouragement. And as always, there's an example in the scripture for every challenge we face. This being said, when we go out to be teachers and we experience this persecution, how can we be ready for it? And that brings me to my third point of preparation. What can we do? we can be teachers of the truth in word, and both in word and in deed, Uh, not just on Sunday morning and in Wednesday night, but every opportunity at work, at the Mount Jewett Healthcare, at the Wilson County Jail, with our friends, uh, wherever you are. I know that the opportunity I've been blessed with to go to the Wilson County Jail every Monday night uh, is a wonderful blessing, an opportunity for me to learn not to teach and to learn with others who are hungry for the word of God, and it's been a blessing in my life. what, would we, what must we do to be teachers? We can't be teachers, even school teachers in the secular world, without being prepared and without having knowledge of the subject matter we're going to instruct people on. Christ tells us to have, to be salt, but not just to be salt, but to be salt with flavor and with taste. In Christ's time, I, I try to think about it, A lot of times we think about our almost everyday table salt. It can be 10 years old and it still tastes like salt. But in that time, most salt was made from distilled salt water and it contained impurities that are present in salt water. So when the saltiness was used up in this, there would still be a salt substance left, but it wouldn't have any flavor. Christ cautions us against becoming like that. So how do we keep our flavor, I thought? How do we keep our saltiness, our flavor? How can we make something taste good to people? And I jotted down a few things about studying the Word of God. Obviously, that's something that God has intended for us. He would not have given us the Word if He did not intend for us to study it and be deep in it. Uh, Prayer. Any time in prayer that we can... Take our troubles and thoughts before God. We can be closer to him and make us better teachers of his word. Uh, We must be mindful of the purpose or goal that we're trying to achieve in teaching. We must meditate on the positive in our own lives and try to be positive in how we teach other people. Uh, Gathering strength from brothers and sisters in the church. I know for one, my Wednesday night class that Tommy Whittle teaches has been such a blessing to me. I'm probably the youngest guy in there, but being with the mature Christians that are in there has been such a blessing to me to learn from those brothers And people who have walked down the path and been Christians longer than I've even been alive to see the wisdom that they have in their minds and what they have to say because they've got those experiences and because they've led godly lives and abided by these types of teachings. Uh, Spending time in worship, finding a congregation where the truth is preached and sound doctors is practiced, and learn to watch and listen. Something else I've learned to do as I've matured slowly in life is to keep my mouth shut more often and listen uh, to people who know what they're talking about instead of just spouting off the mouth like young people typically do. Uh, Actually teaching uh, in Bible classes, be it adult, teenager, children, vacation, Bible school. Getting teaching experience uh, is the only way we'll be able to be prepared to teach people who are are not inside that environment. Uh, Just like sports, we need to train to be our best. A sword doesn't get sharp by itself. It has to be put to the stone. And and an athlete doesn't go play NFL football just because he decides to get up off the couch one day and go get after somebody. He has to train and prepare for that. And we must do the same thing. How do we prepare I looked at the part where Jesus calls us the lights of the world. And I thought about it. every time we think about that, we think about a little light bulb or a lamp or a light we turn on overhead. But in Christ's time, there wasn't a resistor heated up in a bulb or a fluorescent tube that was charged with electricity. Every light they were, saw and derived from was fire. It was a burning, a burning of a fuel, something as in a lantern or a candle or a lamp. Even in the sunlight during the day, it's seen as a heat, an intensity. And we need to have that intensity, that fire, that burning desire, and the fuel we have to burn that fire is our knowledge. And uh, I just think it's interesting that Christ compared us to that. And also that light has a purpose, like Jamie was saying. We don't want to put it under a bushel. It's there to give guidance, to see what's going on in the room. Uh, Andrew talked this morning about being afraid of the dark. I'll, I'll say I've never been afraid of the dark, but I've a lot of times been afraid of what's in the dark. And light kind of... Light kind of rushes that stuff away and calms our fears. The little nightlight he was talking about, we got 12 of them around our house so we can find a baby in the middle of the night. Um, It does no good, absolutely, to be hidden under a basket. Christ wants us to be out there and be teaching. We should be shining, standing out, and noticeable examples of teaching what we know to others. Not to attract attention to ourselves, like he says in the last verse there, but to glorify our Father in heaven. And so he may be glorified by others. And I talked about at the beginning about teaching and, and exemplifying him in word and in deed. And I just wrote down a few examples of being in word. Teach classes in the church. We need more young people to do this. One of this emphasis and the reason that we're up here is to try to encourage young people, and I say young people, I mean people my age, to get more involved in teaching in the church. All of you have so much knowledge, and you that are teenagers and are growing up, we have to have another generation of teachers one day. We're not going to be able to rely on the wise sages that we have teaching us now. And you better start learning early if you want to be able to teach and learn how to be prepared. Uh, again about training Uh, we need to teach those outside the brotherhood at every opportunity not in an antagonistic and undisciplined argument where no one wins but as Jesus taught with authority and with knowledge like Andrew talked about this morning no one wins a heated argument about Christianity they may every so often but not very often usually turn somebody off we need to to be prepared to provide moral and scriptural answers and sound doctrine where it applies Uh, without preparation we can't achieve this And indeed, more so than anything, I think like a picture is worth a thousand words, I think a deed is worth ten thousand words. We should teach by example. We need to be honest and disciplined, even-tempered and dignified in our relationships with others and in our business. We should lead our families by example and conduct our homes and marriages in the example of Christ and the church. We teach our children the same and to teach them to study the word. Be the model to show others what God intended the family to be. Uh, my role in my family has got a lot more important six months ago, and my perspective on life and what's important changed a great deal. And I know now that my responsibility to be a Christian father, and hopefully I'll be like Mr. Rinks there and sitting with several generations of my family in this church one day, and that's what my goals are. Uh, we should place worship, family, and church obligations and activities ahead of social considerations and personal selfish desires. People will see that difference when we decide to go do that. When you take your vacation off work and you go to El Salvador or you go on a stateside mission trip or you do something besides go to Cancun or the Bahamas or wherever it is. That is a sacrifice, and people notice that. Above all, we should love our neighbors by showing compassion, caring, patience, and understanding when faced with anger, hatred, discrimination, and ridicule. Jesus certainly did. Follow the master teacher's example of servitude, humility, mercy, and love. There are no higher standards to follow. Thank you. Number 432. 432.
3: They say a word um, picture is worth a thousand words, so I have a picture here for you. In God's Word, in Matthew 18, 1 through 6, it says, At that time the disciples came and said to Jesus, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child unto himself and set him before them. And he said, Truly I say unto you, unless you are converted and become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be far better for him to have had a heavy millstone around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Do you remember running through the grass as if it was just an endless wave of carpet? Do you remember coming up to a tree and seeing the bark on it and noticing the bark on this tree is different from this tree? And looking up at the tree and seeing a limb way up there and saying, I could make that. And climbing up there to that limb and noticing that the view from up there is different from the view down here. (laughs) You remember laying on your back and looking at the clouds and looking for the shapes in the clouds? You remember Watching the rain through the window, wanting to go outside and play. And when the rain was over with, going outside and playing in the puddles. Do you remember when the garden was freshly tilled and you got to walk through it barefooted? There's no better feeling in the whole world than that. And do you remember when it was quiet in the house and all you could hear was a clock ticking? Now I ask you, what would you do for a little one? Well, there's some suggestions that I have here. You could teach. You could attend some youth events. You could become a bus driver. We need bus drivers. Uh, You could just show up. You could be involved. You could show a child that you care because you can make a difference. If I was to ask you this question: When is the last time you read God's word on a continuous basis? When would that be? What about the last time when you prayed on your knees? In James 5:16, it says, "The prayer of a righteous man is very powerful and effective." Matthew 21:21-22 21, 21 says, "Truly, I say to you, if you have faith, do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all the things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. So we are to come, become like children in order to go into the kingdom of heaven. Have you thought about how simple salvation is? Hear, obey, Luke eleven, twenty eight, Acts fifteen, seven, John three, thirty six, and there's there's many more. But to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John twenty thirty one, Acts eight, thirty seven, John three, sixteen, Matthew ten, thirty two, and John six, twenty eight to twenty nine, there was a crowd following Jesus. And they said to him, they said, therefore, they said to him, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. And in verse 40, it says, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who beholds the son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Or also to confess our sins, James five sixteen. To repent and be baptized, Acts two thirty eight. To live a holy life, Romans twelve one. To be perfect, in Matthew five forty eight it says, "Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect." To be pure, Philippians five eight, Titus one to fifteen, James one twenty seven. And to be holy. In 1 Peter 1.16, it says, Be holy as I am holy. If I had uh, two jars or two glasses of water, it's been a while since I've had a little one, so you can tell. But uh, if I had two glasses of water here, and one was crystal clear, and one was left over from last week and still had stuff in it, maybe even had some dirt in it, and you just came in, which one would you take? Well, of course, you'd take the clear one. What do you think God thinks about us? To be perfect, pure, and holy. And if we're not, if we are that dirty jar right now, we can use the steps of salvation, and we can pour out the water, we can, which would be confessing our sins, we can be baptized, we can wash the glass, we can start living a holy life by pouring clean water into the new clean glass so that the outside is as clean as the inside. We can be perfect, pure and holy. God's plan is simple. It takes no scientist, no mathematician, no great learning, just the qualities of a child, simple. Innocent and honest. And as the text says, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What a wonderful plan God has for us. God wants us. He does not want one person to perish. He wants all to repent. Second Peter 3.9. And God has made it simple for us.
4: Number 10, 14, the visual aids and props. Lex, I can't, I can't top that. I mean, it's, it's a good job. Uh, Andrew wanted me to talk about Jesus' challenge to disciples. Um, my, my lesson text is the Great Commission text from Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, Jesus is commanding us as his disciples to teach to teach about him and it will not be always easy uh, I personally believe there's great joy and blessings in teaching but Jesus did say that it would be difficult he even pointed it out to his disciples over in John 15 starting in verse 18 he said if the world hates you you know that it hated me before it hated you if you were of the world the world would love its own yet because you're not of the world but I chose you out of the world Therefore, the world hates you, okay? Satan has the world. He's not concerned about the world. He wants us. If we're Christians, if we're faithful Christians, if we're productive Christians, he really wants you. So you will endure trials and temptations because of that. Uh, I tried to think of some difficulties that we may encounter if we were trying to uh, obey Jesus' great commission, and I just decided, based on Andrew's advice, it's just... Use my own experience. <clears throat> About 20 years ago, I can't believe it's been that long ago, uh, it was after a Wednesday night service, and I won't say it's the old auditorium, but it's the only auditorium we had back then. I think it was a Wednesday night service. I was standing there socializing, minding my own business, and Pat Hackney comes up to me, smiling, and says, I'd really like you to teach a junior high class. I don't know if Pat remembers that or not, it been so long ago. But I guess. Uh, As I was standing there dumbfounded and stunned, he, he saw an opportunity to keep encouraging me. So I didn't come out and say no, but what I did say is I'll think about it, I'll pray about it.